Last week we looked at how God appeared to a man and promised him a son. And today we see how God appeared to an unlikely leader and promised to deliver an oppressed people. So we look to the reading of God's word. If you'd please join me in prayer. Father, your word indeed is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. And we ask that you would cause it to shine forth with your truth this day. Now, Father, that we would, by your Spirit's work in us, continue to be transformed into the image and the likeness of our Savior. We bless you for the kindness that you have given to us in the revelation of your words to us. We pray and ask this through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. We continue to connect biblical dots this morning. Often people separate the Old and the New Testaments as if they are two different realities. And of course, no, it's the same God, it's the same history, it's the same redemptive plan. If we don't get this, we'll focus on the details of the narrative and actually miss its greater purpose. This book, the Bible, is woven together to set the stage for Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it speaks of God's salvation that he brings through his son. Abraham wandering around in the wilderness, and the Lord appears to him. Moses wandering around in the wilderness, and the Lord appears to him. These dots connect to take us straight to Jesus. They reveal to us what the Lord is doing. And each appearance of God gives us a greater picture of who God is and how we need him in every way. A couple of things that we see here is the the great challenges that we all can struggle with. These questions that come, does anyone know me? Does anyone care for me? Am I known? Am I cared for? Am I loved? And God answers these questions on a large scale to be sure, but also on a personal one. His appearing brings with it revelation of who he is and what he does. And the Lord who appears reveals that he knows and he cares for his people. And because we are called by name and cared for by the Lord through his Son, we are free then to care for and love others. The grace and mercy that we have received frees us from that hamster wheel of works, of performance, in order to gain something that actually has been given to us as a gift. And here in Exodus 3, we see Moses and Israel are called by name and they're cared for. Their freedom is also at hand. Well, the Lord calling us by name, in verse 1, Moses, who is the mighty deliverer of Israel, has been set out to the farm team for 40 years. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness, Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, which becomes very prominent later in Exodus. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame 
of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, in Scripture, the angel of the Lord is what we refer to often as a theophany, an appearance of God in a physical form. Notice that here a little later, it just says the Lord spoke to Moses, connecting those together. And many scholars will actually go further and call this a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God as the ultimate mediator between God and his people. Text says the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses sees it, and then he says, I quote, that's weird. He sees a strange sight, and he goes to find out what it is. Forty years in the wilderness, walking around with a bunch of sheep, and here's something new. I don't see that every day. And he goes, and he, he checks it out. And, of course, the idea is, well, why the image of the burning bush? But what was important about this that Moses needed to see? In several places in the Bible, the Lord appears in fire, so it's certainly in keeping with that. But the emphasis here, if you notice, is on the fact that the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. Well, possibly it speaks of God's grace to Israel herself. Like this burning bush, Israel was in the furnace of Egypt, and God was keeping them from being destroyed. Later in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses declares, But the Lord has taken you, brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people for his own inheritance. Either way, he sees this bush, He draws near, and when he turns aside, the Lord God calls out to him, Moses, Moses. Only a couple places in Scripture do we see the Lord call people twice by their name. In the Old Testament, we have Abraham and and Jacob, Moses, and Samuel. In the New Testament, Jesus does to Simon, to Martha, and to Saul. It's a means of getting someone's attention, to be sure, but it also shows the Lord's personal interaction with his people. And Moses responds, here I am. And the Lord tells him, don't come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place that you're standing on is holy ground. What made the ground holy was God's presence. It's an ordinary, maybe even sub-average out in the wilderness place. There's really nothing special about it. What's special about it is God shows up. That's what makes it holy. He reveals something about himself to Moses He is holy, and in his holiness, he draws out sinful people for himself. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. A familiar verse to us, we've heard that in Jesus quoting this to the Sadducees to prove the resurrection, that it's present tense. I'm the God of. These people are not dead. They are before the Lord awaiting the resurrection in him. But beyond this great truth, we see another. God knows them by name. He knows Moses by name. He calls his people by name. In John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. The Lord has not forgotten these men. And he will not forget us who he has called. The Lord does not forget his people. The Archaeology Institute Covenant Seminary, there was a a glass case, coffin case with a, a full skeleton on the spin. This, this skeleton, these remains. And the, all the tag said was something like male circa 30 AD. And I remember just looking at that and thinking like, well, who is he? What's his name? What did he do? And of course, it's like wondering, 
Did he see Jesus? Did he have any kind of interaction with the Lord at all? Living in the same time and in the same place? Nobody knows these questions. He's a 2,000-year-old John Doe. But God knows everything about him. He remembers. Just like he remembers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God remembers the promises that he makes to his people. Notice that God came to Moses in his ordinary life. Very similar to Samuel, to get into others. People out doing the normal routine. And God shows up. Moses wasn't out in the wilderness on some spirit quest to find himself or God. He's just taking care of sheep. Just being faithful to what he's been called to do. The Lord is the one who picks the time and the place. We don't strong-arm God to respond to us. God does not need us somehow to set the atmosphere, turn down the lights, or turn up the music in order for the stage to be set proper for him to work. God shows up at the right time to the right people at the right place. And it's typically when we're just doing the things he's called us to do. The other thing we notice is just how unique our knowing God is compared to the religions of the world. Islam, Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism. An impersonal God, a divine force of some kind. These impersonal principles of being, that's what these world religions teach. This creation is there, and if God made it, he walks away from it. And doesn't have any interaction with it. And in Eastern religion, the individual actually is obliterated into a cosmic nothingness of everythingness. No one is called out by name. The great goal is to get rid of the individual name altogether. That's not what we see with the God of the Bible. In your bulletin, I put this quote. Our faith is not a matter of the detached observation of God and his ways. It's not a matter of our embrace of a particular philosophy of life. It's coming to know God as a person. And that happens when he meets us and he calls us by name. It's always his invitation by which we come to him and meet him. That's what God does. The person of God comes to us. He's not a distant and derelict dad. He knows each one of us by name. He invites us to himself through his son. And we see Moses' response to the God who shows up. As Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. A holy God found an unsuspecting Moses, and he called him to himself to a mission for his people. Because the Lord not only knows his people by name, but he cares for them. The Lord cares for his people. And, and that takes forward in verses 7 to 12. God sees their plight. He's heard their cries. He knows their anguish. In verse 7 it reads, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard the cry of... Because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And if you flip back into Exodus 2. Verse 23 begins. During those many days the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of the slavery. And cried out for help. Their cry of rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. With Abraham. With Isaac. With Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. That's an amazing line from Scripture. God knew. He knows them. He knows what's taking place. And when God is with us, he reveals that he cares intimately for his people. 
He reveals that he keeps his promises, his covenant. He reveals his faithfulness. This utterly transcendent creator, the Lord Almighty, comes to a shepherd because he is the shepherd of his people who loves his sheep. Personal. Real. And and the Lord also reveals to us that he is carrying history forward to its appointed end. We, We looked at that last week with the life of Abraham. But specifically in Genesis 15, the Lord appeared to Abraham. He told him what was to come in the following generations. He said, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs. They'll be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards shall come out with great possessions. They shall come back here in the fourth generation. All of this is orchestrated by God. God creates a famine to push them into Egypt, creates the conditions to bring them back. Because this is speaking to something greater. God, from a family, is organizing a nation to be a kingdom that's all going to point to Jesus. The Lord working through Israel's history. We see that we're not left with this random acts of chance. Blind forces propelling us forward in no direction with no goal. We have a personal God who reveals himself and he reveals his care and his concern. This exodus would be the defining event of Israel's history. Everything about them screams exodus going forward. It's always something they look back to. It's always the the marker of God's great deliverance for them. And if you asked any Israelite at the time of Moses to share their testimony with you. Man or woman, would it have been something like this? They said, oh, I was once captive in a foreign land. What once looked really good and whole to me became death and bondage. But by God's grace, I took shelter under the blood of the Passover lamb. And the Lord raised up a deliverer, a great mediator who led us out. We crossed over through a baptism in the sea. And we're now on our way to the promised land. Wow, that sounds a lot like a Christian testimony. Of course, that shouldn't surprise us. Moses and the Exodus are a type, they're a shadow of the greater Exodus to come. Last week we saw the similarities of Jesus and Isaac, both sons of the promise, both births announced by an angel, both births miraculous. Both were brought to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed to God. But Jesus was the son of promise, the fulfillment of all of that. And looking at Moses and Jesus, as children both escaped the Holocaust as a wicked ruler tries to kill the male children. An angel comes announcing good news to a shepherd in the wilderness. In an ironic twist, Israel escapes a tyrannical ruler, comes out of Egypt to safety, while Jesus, escaping a tyrannical ruler, goes into Egypt for safety. But in doing so, the prophet Hosea declares, out of Egypt I've called my son. Speaking of Israel. But Matthew's saying, no, no, that's specifically speaking of Jesus, the true Israel of God. Out of Egypt I have called my son. And that gives us the echoes of Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman. The line of Seth, this godly line developing through time and history into a a family, into a nation culminating in Israel, which culminates in the son of promise who 
crushes the head of the serpent. It's Jesus. Moses is called and commissioned to lead Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. Jesus is called and commissioned to lead God's people to the promised land. He's the final mediator of God's people. In Isaiah, we hear this wonderful good news from the Lord, Isaiah 43. He said, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Bring my sons from far, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed and made. And everything Isaiah is speaking of is accomplished by Jesus, the servant. What does that mean for us? Many things, of course. But certainly, the grace and the mercy that we have received, it frees us from the hamster wheel of works. A performance of of doing, of trying to, to gain God's favor. It's like, no, God has come to you. When you weren't even looking for him. It's a strange thing, but it just happens to be in the life of most believers. We often start out receiving freely the Lord's forgiveness and mercy. And somewhere along the line, we start working in our own strength as if we will accomplish what has already been given to us. And when we have received from the one who calls us by name, who gives to us freely, it also frees us not to obligate others to us. The gift that I've received is a gift. And I will not then require you to do something to receive it from me. That's the freedom of the gospel. How how often in bondage we, we link ourselves to the flesh in that way where I have received this gift, but I'm not giving it to you freely. You have to show me in some way that you deserve undeservedly the free gift that I've received. It's twisted because we twist it. And we put that label, that bondage upon other people. And God removes that from us. It's free. It's a gift. It also means that in those moments when we start questioning, does anyone really care? Am I invisible? Am I seen? The answer is yes. Yes, you are. The Lord knows you by name. You're not forgotten. You're not discarded. You're not deserted. Now, does he do that in an audible voice? No. I'm more than a little doubtful when people claim this. Even in Scripture, God speaking to someone directly is pretty limited. But what we do have is the Holy Spirit bearing witness to our spirit, working by, with, and through the Word in us. That, that immovable rock that says, I just know that I know Jesus is real. That I belong to him, that I need him. I don't know, I just know. That's his spirit in you. Actually, I think like most of us, if an audible voice came for you now, 20 years from now, in a great moment of crisis, I don't know if that would mean that much to you. Because all of us who've lived for a while can recount amazing providences of God along the way that we doubt later when new things come. 
doesn't hold long. What holds long? The Holy Spirit in you. The Comforter comes to you. Is present reality now. Confirming to you the love of God, the one who calls you and knows you by name. You are deeply loved. And you are commissioned by the Lord to serve. You have now been given that freedom to go in his name to speak of the goodness of Jesus to others, to live that reality, both in terms of evangelism as well as just simply in your life, living with people, the freedom of the gospel to forgive, to to let wrongs go, to not hold people to an accountability that you hope God doesn't give to you. God's gift is grace, is free, but it's going to cost you a lot. No, that's, you've been set free from that bondage. Why? Because the bush burned and was not consumed. A picture of Israel and Egypt, the land of oppression. God brought them out and they were not destroyed. But the one who freed his people, the one who entered in as that mediator who took them out from their sin, you and I, was consumed in their place. He was consumed in our place. That appearance of the Son of God speaking to Moses, the bush is not consumed, but he is consumed for us. He takes our place in order to give us life. He appears for life to the world so that we would have life in him abundantly. And that freedom that we have now in the gospel, that we've been justified by faith alone, and that faith is a gift given to you, moves our heart to gratitude. It moves our heart to worship. And it ought to move our heart to tremendous mercy and tenderness to the people around us who have wronged us, who have done things that we are wanting to hold them to in a bondage of unforgiveness. And the gospel says, no, set us free. The only one consumed was Jesus, so that we would have life in him. Pray with me. Father God, we are so grateful for the truth of the gospel. Father, in this Advent season, as we prepare our hearts for your second coming, Lord God, we pray that we would live fresh and anew in the freedom that Jesus has brought to us. Father, thank you for that great exodus that you have taken us out of the bondage of sin, the slavery of our transgressions. You have set us free. Father, those the Son has set free are free indeed. We bless you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.